Terry Griggs is the author of Quickening, which was shortlisted for the Governor General's Award, The Lusty Man and Rogue's Wedding. Her children's books, Cat's Eye Corner, The Silver Door, and Invisible Ink have been nominated for multiple children's writing awards. In 2003, Terry Griggs was awarded the Marion Engel Award in recognition of a distinguished body of work. She lives in Stratford, Ontario. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. We're here to talk about your latest work, which is entitled uh, Thought You Were Dead. It's got a dead fly on the cover. (laughs) (laughs) What would you call it? A crime fiction, humor? Well, it's been receiving all sorts of names. Bibliofiction is one of them. A slacker cozy. I kind of like that one. Farce noir. It hasn't settled down to an absolute definition, but I like all of those. It's a comic. When I was reading it, because of the fact that there are cartoonish illustrations in it, and because the lead character reminds me so much of someone in Mad Magazine, I thought, well, this is probably targeted at a young adult audience, even though the word fuck appears in it a number of times. Did you have any audience in mind when you were writing this? No, I don't usually have an audience in mind, unless, of course, I am writing children's book, and even for kids' books, I think that they can be enjoyed by anyone, really anyone who likes wordplay and sort of, sort of stylistic you know, play. And no, I wasn't really thinking that it would be mostly appreciated by a audience, but why not? The, yeah. the cartoons have a, a kind of young adult yes. feel to them. I, I love what they add to the book. Really. I was quite thrilled when um, Dan Wells, the publisher, came up with the um, idea of adding some illustrations. Uh, I just thought that was something new for me, and it really, I think, gave an extra dimension to the, to the book itself. I think Nick Crane does fabulous job. Did the characters that he drew, did you have a picture of them in your mind, and did he uh, get anywhere close to that picture? Well, that was the tricky part, actually, because, mm. yes, you do have a picture of the character in your mind, and that was harder for me, because he came up with some initial drawings, say, of the main character, Chellis, and it did not, to my mind, look at all like the character, and so I, I just had to request. Um, a different one. He was okay with that. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. great, actually. And I didn't really know what to suggest, so the publicist at Bibliasis suggested, how about, he, he looks like David Schwimmer. I never heard of David Schwimmer. I didn't know who he was. I guess he's an, an actor on the show Friends. I looked him up, but it's okay. It's not really, it wasn't really my original conception period. I thought he looked pretty good, and so still imagine him the way I did initially. But, you know, some of those features now begin to creep in. It's like when he Movie, right? Well, that's it. Yeah. And typically with a movie, you know, they buy the rights, mm-hmm. the author just takes mm-hmm. their check and then walks that's away, right. and it's a totally different work of art. Whereas yeah. here, it's, it's right next to the words. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I found myself, because I didn't want to be told how to conceive Exactly. Yes, yes. But I suppose graphic novels are so popular mm-hmm. now, maybe that was part of the thinking. I suppose it was. I was quite open for it, and I'm quite happy the way it turned out, mm-hmm. really. You made reference to wordplay. Yes. And there really is a a lot of playfulness in the language. And, of course, when you think of playful, Nabokov comes to mind. Yes. And so I want to read a little excerpt from Andrew Field's biography of Nabokov. Oh, is that a new one? For you. No, it's been around for a while. okay. The variety store in the book is Pnin. Yes. Here's what Field has to say about Pnin. And insofar as we give ourselves up to enjoyment of Pnin's zany speech and ways, 
the reader is also drawn into the circle of those characters in the novel who gently mock and taunt him, as indeed Plin's own language mocks him. And I thought that was quite a good description of what you're doing with your cellist character. Yeah, yes, I think that's excellent. But, you know, as you're reading it, I was thinking, have I read Plin? <laughs> I must have at some point, because I've read a lot of Nabokov, and I really do like him. I admire his work and his approach, mm. but I don't, I'm not consciously aware of having used that in, in my work. Maybe I've absorbed it unconsciously, yeah. you know, by osmosis. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I should actually keep that quote myself. <laughs> well, I can use it in interviews. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, it really did tie in with yeah. this, where mm -hmm. toward the very end of the book, I'm not giving anything away here. Oh, okay. Elaine, another central character in the book, says, you do realize, Chell, that you use your sense of humor to fend off intimacy. It keeps you at a remove, keeps you uninvolved. It's a way of not getting hurt. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that's exactly how I felt about that character, the, mm -hmm. the cellist character. Yes, I think that's uh, astute, really, to observe that, because he is dealing with lost love throughout the book. His mother yeah. and his girlfriends frustrated relationships that he had with these other women, this woman who shows up, um, who claims to be a sister, and his, it's, it's his one way of dealing with things, really. He has a sense of humor. A good observation, really. Well, what I found was, was a little bit uh, irritating was I, the reader, mm -hmm. was caught up in exactly the same, perhaps, circumstance that the other characters were, mm -hmm. which is He's a bit of a smart-ass. Yeah, yeah. A lot of his jokes are... They're not... <laughs> Some of them are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he pushes it, yeah, right. Every now and again, there's a really good one, mm -hmm. at least <laughs> from this reader's perspective, and I laugh. Okay, good. But there's, but there's quite a few of them that are just annoying. And my sense is that maybe the fact that he's that kind of character, mm -hmm. I'm having difficulty becoming intimate with him. Because he's keeping me away he's with this sense of That's one good interpretation. People respond to him differently. Some people feel very um, fond of him, so they told me, and they find him quite sweet. And another woman came up to me at a reading and said, you really didn't like that character, did you? And I was quite surprised at this interpretation, because I like him quite a bit. Well, he's vul he, he is, is hurt, vulnerable. You know, as you say, he's yes. putting up a shell. Yes, and he's uh, protecting himself. As someone who is, my temperament is given to jokiness a bit, uh, actually from friends who know me and you just work away at it and mm -hmm. some things are funny and some things aren't it's just, it's just part of that temperament how you uh, approach things and I think comedy is a great um, investigative tool really which is why I think it's sort of cool to use it in a, in a mystery because it's a useful device that allows you to investigate things it makes you a little sharp sharpen your judgment about situations or people you just don't take things as they're given, necessarily. Comedy lets you step back, investigate something, you know, maybe look at what's sort of dodgy in a situation. And if you make a little fun of it a little bit, it just provides a bit of space right, for you to think about. That's wit, very useful. How, how so exactly then? I know you just. You yeah, I just tried to explain, explain it. it. But I didn't quite <laughs> you get it. You didn't quite get it. I don't know, I just think it sharpens, sharpens your judgment because you don't take statements. You don't accept them passively. Someone says something to you, you turn it over in your mind, you might try to um, 
assess it to playing with whatever is being given to you. <laughs> the only way I can explain it. In other words, what? Being on the receiving end, you might look for humor in what people have told you? or No, no. It's, I, I'm just saying you're using humor as a device. As it, I think it just sharp, it tends to sharpen your judgment. You don't take received ideas as easily or willingly. I'm having a little fun with things. Mm -hmm. You know, it's more than just being light and silly and goofy. There's an actual intellectual component, an investigative component in comedy and in humor. So, again, is it an outlook? Yeah, it's so a way So it would be receiving yeah. and... It's assessing. It's an outlook. Yeah, it's, an, it's a way of assessing the information that you receive. And you It's like you step back and have a look at it and instead of just passively saying, oh yes, that's so. Somebody says something to you and you maybe you use your wit. Take it apart. Turn it over. Have a look at it. Maybe it's not what it seems. <laughs> You're not really buying this. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to see. I mean, see that, that's a curious mind. That's yeah. what a curious mind would do. Mm -hmm. I'm just yes. wondering yeah. what the humorous take, how does that add to the... Well, that's just a variation on the curious mind, I would say. Okay. Yeah, yeah. When you talk about the distance it provides, again, you may be talking about this character, Chalice, mm -hmm. who's not necessarily the life of the party, but he's a quirky... Yes. Funny, funny kind of guy that it's almost like an avalanche of, yeah. of stuff that comes out of his mouth and he's always probing right he's always he's questioning things mm -hmm. all the time mm -hmm. he's making observations and some of them are quite even though they're they're stated in a humorous way they're satirical or probing i know he's asking um, you know questioning what the culture has to offer you don't always have to do it in a, with a sledgehammer you know you can do it in a lighter sort of way I'm speaking with Terry Griggs, whose latest novel is Thought You Were Dead, published by Biblioasis. It's difficult to read your prose quickly, because yes. in almost every sentence, there's a word that's used, perhaps not in a typical fashion, and it stops you, I find. In one sense, if you're a stylist mm -hmm. and you love wordplay, that's really positive. But in another sense, if you're one of these page-turner types who... <laughs> wants to get to the the conclusion, it's not that easy to do that. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that, mm -hmm. absolutely. Even though it is a mystery, it's, it's a genre, of a, I'm writing a genre, I'm following some of the formulas in my subversive sort of way, it is not, I don't think, it's also literary. One of my main interests has always been in language itself. So this just happens to me my, be my particular style. And I'm very interested in individual words, in individual sentences, crafting very carefully. And I like to see that there's something going on in a sentence. I have a very hard time reading a book that is, you know, plain speech, plain mm -hmm. spoke, plain prose. That's, I mean, I realize it has its, has its uh, strengths, powers, and mm -hmm. charms, but unless there's something very interesting going on in a sentence, I don't even care what the story is. I'm, I'm not going to be interested in reading the book very likely. Mm -hmm. I like, you know, like Nabokov, I like, you know, he's fantastic. Well on the sentences. Yeah. And that's part of the, for me, from personally, that's part of the pleasure of reading, is what's happening, what's going on with the language itself. Fascinating, you know. Right? Yeah, I agree with you. Another author that I understand that you admire is, uh, is Martin Amos. His use of metaphor mm -hmm. is, is unparalleled, I think. He also okay. loves to use, and this is something that you do too, he spends a lot of time on 
people's names and book oh, titles. Yeah. Yes, uh, I had great fun with that. I loved your blood sugar skullduggery <laughs> in the confectionery business. <laughs> and one of your characters, his name is Dick Major. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, that makes it that much more fun. Good. Well, that was the intent. I mean, fun and entertainment, pleasure, those are all important things for me to provide. One of the other areas of interest, your areas of interest, is the male-female divide. Yeah. Maybe we could, at this point, just get a thumbnail sketch of the, of the book, if you don't mind. Like in a sentence or two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You probably got your uh, elevator pitch. Uh, no, no, no. I'm always supposed to be working this up. I never seem to get around to it. <laughs> yeah, how about this approach? The story really involves two mysteries. There's one conventional mystery where a body turns up, and my hero in the story, Chellis B, becomes very reluctantly involved in the investigation. He's more like a detective in denial, but he's not a detective at all. He's a literary researcher. So there's that mystery, and the other mystery is the fact that his ex-girlfriend has married a perfect man. He can't figure out what the attraction is. He's a hunk. He's rich. He does the housework. He's totally supportive. You can't figure it out. <laughs> what does she say to him? So the book really follows the murder investigation and his unrequited love for his girlfriend, who you, who is an inventor and uses him for uh, market research, basically. You know? But there's something but there. But there's something there. Yeah, in fact, it's funny. One of the lines that describes their relationship is that they have the marital spats yes, without the benefits. The, that's right. <laughs> Something that's interested me is a screwball comedy, you know, those, those films from the 30s and 40s. And the Marx Brothers? Or the well, no, they'd be more like Hawks and like Bringing Up Baby. and They're characterized by a lot of verbal wit and a lot of this back and forth between the male and the female character. And I think you could compare the book somewhat. There's got some of the DNA of, of that. Why the male-female divide? What is it that fascinates you about Well, I don't know. I mean, I think it's for a major concern. Right? It involves our lives all the time. It's just something that's always interested me. For what reason? I'm not really sure. No, I don't like to analyze what it is I'm doing. I might stop doing it. Well, maybe that's yeah, a good idea. Screw it up. Yeah. It's working yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Thinking about this, I write about ambiguity a lot, too. I, I like to find it interesting people in situations, and this is very common for so many of us, where you're in a particular situation that you want to be in, you don't want to be in it. Yeah. You know, you're in marriage, you don't want to be in marriage. You're yeah. in a family, you love the family, you can't wait to be shot of the family. I always find that a very rich source of fiction. You know, it touches us all. It's friction of everyday yes. life and relationships, and mm -hmm. as you say, being satisfied, but what percentage satisfied? Yes, and yes exactly. And even Chell's character, I mean, he longs to have a family, and he longs to be with Elaine. Maybe next door would be the better situation. Yeah. You know? He longs for the past. Funny, I've been reading a little bit of Ian McEwan lately, and he's criticized for writing overly manicured plots, although he's a brilliant writer. But one of the things that I picked up on was at the end of various chapters, you'd bring it back to the initial yes. entree. Of yes, the, yes, yes. I do tend to write that way. Each chapter will have its own, not necessarily its own metaphor, but its own contain substance. <laughs> the title of the chapter will pretty much cover what's going to go on in the chapter. Like there's one called Manual Labor. And it's yeah. all about Chellis looking at his hands. And he's, and that leads from one thing to another thing to another thing. But it's all basically that chapter. That is the sort of structural 
image in the chapter, mm. the very first chapter, it's FAQs, frequently asked questions, and so mm. it's structured on a whole series of questions, and it ends, begins that way and ends with a question. And again, this just adds another layer of interest, or mm. uh, not necessarily a puzzle, but something to engage yes. the mind. Uh, well, I hope so. Maybe it just helps me write the book, too, mm-hmm. <laughs> to have these sort of sort of structures. And I started writing in short stories, so yeah. maybe some of that has just always stuck with me. And the sense that you you need to wrap it up, or you need to go full yes. circle. Yes, yes. Although, the, when I end books, the, the books themselves are usually open-ended. Mm-hmm. Um, entirely conclusive. I like that feeling of freedom mm. at the end, end of the book. But maybe that's a bad habit, coming back to the same thing. Yeah. have to keep an eye on that, perhaps. Well, it, just, it didn't happen all the time, but it did mm-hmm. happen on some occasions, and I thought, mm, that's Maybe there should have been a different... Well, thing. just that, that uh, this is perhaps a bit mm-hmm. manicured. Uh, yeah, that's just me fussing <laughs> and making it. Making each individual thing a, you know, a container. Complete. A yeah. complete. Well, again, there's lots of people that love that too. Mm-hmm. The, this mm-hmm. neat, clever structure. It reminds me of Ianni Prue with her mm. a different type of knot in oh, each yes, chapter. Oh yes, in that book. Shipping that for a while. news, I think. There's a lot of, as well as fun wordplay. There's also some interesting musing on writing itself. Yes, that's something I. Didn't think I'd ever do. It's right about writing. Well, isn't that interesting? <laughs> because you you actually have uh, one of the characters say that writers should not write about writers and writing. That's right. <laughs> right. And in so doing, you are that's what you're doing. That's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. I made a little rule early on in my career that I would not do that. I wouldn't write about writers. But rules are made to be broken. Mm-hmm. And uh, incredibly, I actually. When I first was conceiving what I was going to do with this book, I thought it might be interesting to write the writer's manual mystery. Uh, (laughs) Would that work? I don't know. I thought it might be an interesting idea, but I didn't pursue it. But the idea of working with writers. And I've always wanted to have a literary researcher, so this is my only way of getting one. (laughs) (laughs) To this point, yeah. (laughs) Well, it's funny because that's when I sat up and paid attention when it became clear that this was a literary researcher. I thought that's when people would start rolling their eyes. Well, maybe. Oh, God, another book about writers. (laughs) However, I just thought I'd want to do it. What do you want to say about writing in the book? Just that it's a very absorbing, intellectually gratifying thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that comes through in the book because the particular characters that I'm uh, you know, that I've set up. So. Well, what comes through is it's almost like you're a bit of a magpie picking up all yeah, sorts yeah. of sparkling mm-hmm. objects. I'd agree with that. Putting them in between the covers of this book, almost every sentence there's something to stop you with here. Here's another interesting line that you put out, and that is, that was the problem with being educated, even semi-educated, one's originality was compromised. (laughs) That's a very interesting idea, so how many original ideas are there? Exactly. It's almost better to be ignorant, because if you come up with an idea, you think you're the first one to have it. People have talked about exactly that. It's it's much more valuable to you Mm -hmm. in your own education to work through something and come up to, with the conclusion that perhaps Kant or yes. you know yes, right. Plato or whomever came up with. And you you see it in, in those writings after the fact. Right. Well, Chalice is just educated enough to realize that perhaps he's not educated enough. Mm. <laughs> but I'm all for education. So. 
<laughs> there are also a lot of funny lines. For me, it was hit and miss, but I think that's the sure. character well, that's, too, though. Yes, that's uh, funny, yeah. You're probably laying out some groaners on purpose. Lots of groaners. Yeah. <laughs> His hearing was as sharp as Spock's ears. I was kind of amused that one of the reviews said that Chalice was like snobby about popular culture. Really? Because he seemed to know he wears uh, Ninja Turtle PJs and <laughs> <laughs> watches SpongeBob on TV. And yeah. The smoky windowed Lexus worn by its occupant like a full metal burka. There's all sorts of those kinds of lines, but also talking about painting their perfectly fine red front door a cowardly neutral color, clotted cream, xenophobic white. Yeah, I had to do a little thinking on those. And you do quote, I see Philip Larkin here. Yes. Who's part of the Amos That's right. clan. Mm -hmm. He was an influence? I think so. There's one story I have. Actually, it was the one that um, showed up in that, um, you know, the salon issue that was caused so much problem. <laughs> that story was, actually, is inspired the right word? There's a poem of Philip Larkin's that called Wedding Wind that prompted that particular story. And when I read the story a few years ago, I used to read that a little bit. I'd always read the poem first. It was a great pleasure to read that poem, read into the story. He's, it's deceptive. He uses such plain language, mm -hmm. and yet he's able to make these plain words mm -hmm. deliver a really powerful... Yes, unforgettable. Like parents fucking us up. That become part of, well, part of the popular culture. Really. Here's another chapter titled Crime and Punishment. Did you do much reading? Or the book itself. Yeah. Yes, well, I read a lot of genealogy. I thought there would be more genealogy, but we're about genealogy. When I first started out, I thought I was going to write some sort of scam involving genealogy, and that's why I came up with the idea of uh, mystery, which I've never written before, of course. That sort of fell by the wayside. So, and I also read a fair bit about women inventors. Come across anyone interesting? You know that fellow who's in the monkeys, Nesbitt, was mm. Nesbitt? His mother invented, was it liquid paper? I'm trying to remember now. She invented something that was really huge. <laughs> and <laughs> little yeah, they details were like that. Fabulously rich because yes, of that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, I read a little bit about that to see how that all worked. I often read poetry when I'm writing, so I know I read a lot of Seamus Heaney when I, when I wrote Lusty Man. That's interesting. Does that inspire you? It just puts me in the. It's like um, having a real head of coffee in the morning or something. Mm. It's the verbal version of it. I've been reading Eric Ormsby. I really like him. He's excellent. Are you pleased with this? I am. I am pleased with it. I finished it a couple of years ago, you know. Um, I'm just kicking around. It was at another publisher's, and um, didn't seem to work out. It seemed to be a bad match. I wanted changes I didn't want, so I sat on it for a while. Dan was over here <laughs> waving his hand. Because, you know, I've known John for so long, and John knew I had a book. John Metcalf yes, and John Metcalf. Dan Wells. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dan Wells had been both at mm -hmm. the Oasis. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I, he said, I just want to read it. I'm just a fan. I'd like to, like to read the book. <laughs> read the manuscript. Yeah. But I'm very happy going with them because they're Dan has just been fantastic, really. He's, he's just worked really, really hard to get this book out there, get word of the book out there. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. So, you know. They didn't touch the book? Nope. Changed no a few words. No wonder you're happy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Changed a few words. Uh, 
I, I put in a few more jokes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that made me happy. No, I sort of like the hands-off approach and everything. Because I work so hard on it. Go over and over and over and over and over and over. It's, I know what I want. I'm not... Well, exactly. You know, You've been writing for how long now? 25 years or so. Well, my first book came, came out in 1990. And which yeah. was that? that That's um, Quickening. That. Which has just been republished it by... Has, uh, yeah by a different mm-hmm. basis as well. Yeah. Before uh, leaving, I must... A friend of mine, uh, some years ago, he started collecting uh, book covers with naked women. Oh. <laughs> and this is a, actually a Isn't glorious, it glorious kind of work. Yeah. We were looking at The Lusty Man. And mm-hmm. it, how would you describe her? She's, she's in water. Yeah. She's striding in water, and her mouth is up yeah. at the surface. And we see the rest of her body underneath the water. It's gorgeous. When it came out, someone told me that um, they were at a bookstore where the, where the clerks kept shelving it so that the cover wouldn't show. Yeah, that's sad. Well, it does take a certain amount of, I was going to say balls, but that's, <laughs> it does take mm-hmm. a certain courage to, to put mm-hmm. a, a naked woman on the cover yes. of a book. It's actually uh, my second one. I don't know if your friend would be interested in the um, paperback of Rogue's Wedding, my novel, also has that naked woman on the cover. And I almost ended up with one on the new quickening, but I had to tell Dan, no, no, I've had enough. Yeah, you don't want to, yeah, I don't want to <laughs> develop the reputations. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're happy with this cover of The Dead Fly? I love The Dead Fly. I think it's great. Did you have much input into it? No, Dan just came up with that quickly because he had to um, send some information out and had to send some pictures of the cover. So he just put it together quickly. Right. And the um, booksellers and everyone really loved it. They, they thought it was very effective. And I, I, I was pleased with it too. I think it's, uh, I think it's wonderful. It suits the book very, very well. Okay. I don't know if you ever... Uh, people don't know this expression, but uh, my father always used to use that expression, call somebody a dead fly. you familiar with that expression? No. no. It just means that you're, you're trying to pull a fast one. You've got something up your sleeve. You're, you're being, um, quick. Because... Flies, you know, can often look dead, but then you go to sort of blow them away and they flip around and away, off they go again. It's like playing possum, right? So that nothing is what it seems, which is, which is um, well, thought we were dead. It's kind of a theme of the book. Mm-hmm. 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 And how are sales? Apparently they're very, very good. Um, Dan tells me that they might be reprinting soon. Oh, wonderful. So, well, congratulations. Thank you very much. And, uh, Thank you very much. And I hope it goes into uh, multiple printings. Oh, thank you. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, there's a point where I thought, well, oh, this book, maybe I'll just put it in the compost. <laughs> Honestly, I wasn't yeah. sure if it was, it was going to see print. So it's nice to give yeah. life to yeah. the dead fly. Mm-hmm. I've been uh, speaking with Terry Griggs, who is the author of Quickening, which was shortlisted for the Governor General's Award. The Lusty Man and Rogue's Wedding, which was shortlisted for the Rogers Writers Trust Fiction Prize. Her children's books, Cat's Eye Corner. Cat's Eye, does that have any riffing off Margaret Atwood it going doesn't, on there? No, it was my son made up the title. Okay. <laughs> the Silver Door and Invisible Ink have been nominated for multiple children's writing awards. In 2003, Terry Griggs was awarded the Marion Engel Award in recognition of a distinguished body of work. She lives in Stratford, Ontario. Thanks again. Thank you very much.